black women have a 41% higher mortality rate than white women. We have a 39% higher recurrence rate of breast cancer than white women. And black women under 35 are getting breast cancer at twice the rate, dying at three times the rate of white women, which is crazy. So I said, well, something's got to be wrong with the science. Welcome to Believe in Progress, the American Association for Cancer Research Foundation podcast. Join us and be inspired by the incredible stories of those who have faced cancer with strength and resilience and the medical professionals who are working tirelessly to find new treatments and ultimately a cure. Believe in Progress isn't just about the science of cancer. It's about the human side of this disease. Together, we can make progress in the fight against cancer and bring hope to those who need it most. Ricky Fairley is the CEO and co-founder of Touch. She's also a triple negative breast cancer survivor, Thriver. Ricky's personal purpose, passion, mission, ministry, and blessing is to bring focus, attention, research, science, and action to eradicating black breast cancer and supporting and coaching what she calls her breasties through their breast cancer experience. Ricky is an award-winning seasoned marketing veteran that has transformed her strategic acumen into breast cancer advocacy. Ricky co-founded and serves as CEO of Touch, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance to address black breast cancer as a unique and special disease state with the overall goal of reducing the mortality rate for black women. Ricky founded and serves as co-host for The Doctor Is In, a weekly live breast cancer advocacy web series on the blackdoctor.org Facebook page that reaches over 3 million viewers. She's a founding member of hashtag Black Data Matters in partnership with Citizen, the Center for Healthcare Innovation, and Morehouse School of Medicine to encourage and elevate the importance of Black women participating in clinical trial research. In January of 2022, she started the When We Try Bull movement to change the game on Black women participating in clinical trials to improve outcomes for Black women with breast cancer. Ricky serves on the board of trustees for the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, where she chairs the marketing committee. She's a board member for the Center for Healthcare Innovation, a nonprofit research and educational institute making healthcare more equitable. She avidly works with pharmaceutical companies to provide the patient voice for breast cancer awareness, action therapy slash drug development and advocacy. Ricky has two daughters, Amanda Brown Learman and Haley Brown, both also graduates of Dartmouth College, like their mom, and three granddaughters, Belle, Leah, and Hart, who remind her of her purpose every day. Ricky, welcome to the AACR podcast, and thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much. You read the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's great it's, to be here. It's quite a, uh, it's a very impressive uh, uh, intro and you're a very impressive person. I'm a, I'm a grandfather of two. I have two grandsons and you know, what, what you just said there at the end is so true. Um, I work hard every day also, so they don't have to deal with cancer when they get a little bit older as well. And, um, as we both realized just a minute ago that um, we both grew up within a mile of each other. In, right, in probably Sil less than a mile, in, right? In Silver, Spring, in Silver Spring, Maryland. So uh, listen, we're, we're delighted to have you here today. Um, and I was hoping maybe you could talk to the audience a little bit about your, your cancer experience, you know, when you discovered you had cancer. Um, you know, at the time, I think you were working as a marketing executive and were diagnosed with a late stage breast cancer subtype that quickly spread to your chest wall. 
Can you, can you walk us through um, where you were and when you first learned about having cancer, please? Sure, sure. So I, my, my baby daughter was a sophomore, was about to start her sophomore year at Dartmouth, and she had been in China all summer. And so I usually do my annual mammogram, which I always was religious about because my mom had breast cancer 15 years before me. Um, and I waited that year because I was so busy. I was doing, you know, on three airplanes every week, four airplanes every week. And I'm just going to wait till Haley comes home. And we'll do all the appointments. And so I set up the dentist appointment, the gynae appointment, all that stuff. And so we went to the doctor together and my doctor found a lump. Had I been doing self-exams, I would have found it, but I didn't and I wasn't. And so I went into this quick whirlwind of of being diagnosed with breast cancer. So I was packing Haley up to go to school. We're trying to get her back to school. I literally, we went to Dartmouth. I went to Target 40 times, got bought all the stuff. And I was um, on my way at the Boston airport to do a three-week business trip to the West Coast. And so as I'm going through security in Boston, my doctor called and said, yes, Ricky, you do have breast cancer. And I said, well, you know, I have to give a speech tomorrow to 300 people and I haven't written it yet. Can I call you back? (laughs) And like, it just went over my head. And so I got on the plane to San Francisco. I got it the next morning. I did my speech. I then went to Los Angeles, did another speech, and then three, di- three days went by, and I really didn't even think about it. I think I did call my mom somewhere in that realm of whatever top thing, but it was like a, like a foreign object that was sort of like surrounding my head, but not in it. Right. And, um, and so my doctor called me again and said, okay, Ricky, you not only have breast cancer, but you have triple negative breast cancer. And I said, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Triple negative, like how bad could that be? And then I went to Dr. Google and um, Dr. Google said, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're really going to die. So I said, maybe I better go home. So I went home. I was living in Atlanta at the time and I went into the whirlwind of triple negative breast cancer. So I did um, a double mastectomy by, by, by choice, really. And then I did six rounds of standard of care chemo, six weeks of radiation. And, um, and my doctor said, okay, you're no, you have no evidence of disease. Come back in two months for another PET scan. And so I thought I was fine. So I went to back almost, it was almost a year to the day of my first diagnosis. And they found five spots on my chest wall. Oh boy! And my doctor, who was pretty young, had only had two cases of triple negative and both of the women died after nine months. She said, okay, Ricky, you're now metastatic. You have two years to live, get your affairs in order. And I said, well, where, I can't really die in, right now. Are you now. in Atlanta now? Yeah, in Atlanta. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can't really die right now. I have a daughter at Dartmouth. I've got to pay tuition. I got to work. So I was a breadwinner for my family. And so I said, me, you and guidance of drugs or something, we got to work this out. What have you got for me? And she really didn't know what to do. And so I went to Dr. Google and everything said, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. But on the third page of Dr. Google, I found the triple negative breast cancer foundation. So I gave a call to them. Haley Dinnerman is still my sister from another mother yes, um, and my, one of my best friends. And she recommended a doctor. So I'm going to find a doctor for you. And so she, she sent me to Ruth O'Regan, who was at Emory, and she's an amazing oncologist. And, and she was probably one of about five docs that were actually researching triple negative at the time. And so she put me on some experimental drugs and said, okay, I don't know if it's going to work, but let's try it. And I didn't die, and it's 11 years. Unreal. Now, how did, how did you get to Haley at triple negative? Just do your own research? Yeah, through Google, Dr. Google. It was on the third page of Google. I had to keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And when I found her... She answered the phone and she said, I'm going to help you. And, um, and she did. And, um, we still work together pretty much. I talked to her almost every day. Well, you're, now you're serving on the board together. of that group as well, right? I'm on the board. I've been on the board. I got on the board as soon as I got better. She really put me to work. 
as mm-hmm. an advocate and taught me how to do it. And, mm-hmm. and I've been on the board ever since I was the board chair for, I guess, for six years or so since then. But, um, um, but you know, black women get triple negative at three times the rate of white women. And we right. don't really know why. Right. And we're getting it at younger ages and, and um, later stages. And it's a horrible disease for us. So I really just, you know, and, and actually the first national study didn't even come out about triple negative and its impact on black women until about 2018. And that's when I started to put together the data about black women. And I started digging into the science because I, you know, we, the, the numbers started coming out that black women have a 41% higher mortality rate than white women. We have a 39% higher recurrence rate of breast cancer than white women. And black women under 35 are getting breast cancer at twice the rate, dying at three times the rate of white women, which is crazy. So I said, well, something's got to be wrong with the science. Like, what's wrong with this picture? Right. And so I got one of my oncologist friends to help me dig back into history. And we actually pulled the clinical trials for the drugs that are standard of care that we all take. Taxotere, adriamycin, cytoxin, taxol, all those drugs. And there were no black women in those trials. And so it has to be that they're not working. They're not working to the, the effect that they should or the, have the, having the favorable impact that they should. And then I said, okay, well, what's happening now? Like how many women are in research? And it's 3% participation in clinical trials, which is zero. Right. So I said, oh, my goodness, we have to we have to change the science. We have to figure out how to get better science and better drugs. And um, I did a big research study. I t- we talked to. 48 black women in qualitative interviews, and then another 250 in a quant study to really understand the emotional barriers to clinical trial participation. And we know there's Henrietta Lacks and all those sort of, you know, earned medical mistrust that exists in our black community, but I know it was deeper than that. You know, I'm a marketing person, so I knew it was deeper, and I wanted to uncover and unpack the emotional barriers and what the real fears were. And so we talked to them and we learned a lot of things. We learned, first of all, that guess what? Black women aren't invited to clinical trials by their doctors. Right. And they don't know about them. If you don't know about them, how are you going to even, you know, participate? Why, why and then, is that, do you think? They're why? just, you know, implicit bias, racism, right. all the bad things. Right. Um, oh, she's a single mom. She's not going to comply with the regimen. Oh, you know, she's, her transportation, she can't afford it. Like they make a lot of assumptions about our ability to actually experience the trial. And so I don't know, you know, yeah. I wish I knew more. Um, can, and I, we can talk about that. that can I, minute, can I but, take a step back for one second? Yeah, I'm just curious sure. uh, about you and um, how are you doing right now with your cancer battle? I mean, where are you? I mean, and, and I am yep. fine. Okay. I am healthy as an ox. That's I am awesome. so healthy. I go paddle boarding every day that I can on the Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> Nothing like that. I, <laughs> I run with my granddaughters. I am so healthy that it makes me have survivor guilt so many times because I have so many sick friends that yeah. had what I had and either didn't make it or are struggling. And so I'm so blessed to be healthy. So I'm kind of curious, looking at mental health during a cancer battle, first of all, checking in with you that you're feeling great now is fantastic. But what's your, the best advice that you would have for anyone struggling through their own battle for maintaining their mental health? Because I think, you know, attitude plays a, a pretty, pretty big role in, in, in trying to help you battle through cancer, right? It really does. And I had a great support system, which a lot of people don't have, but I really did. Everybody rallied around me, my friends and my family. But I think you, the minute you're, the minute you're diagnosed, the second you're diagnosed, you have to say, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor now. And you have to believe that you're going to get better. You have to believe that you can tackle this mountain and that you can tackle this monster and you're going to come out on the other side. And I think it's, 
it's easier when you're early stage. It's harder when you're metastatic. But I think you just have to believe and have faith that you're going to make it. And it's almost like jumping off a cliff with God and say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to jump off that cliff. And I really had to relinquish my faith. And I always sort of had this spiritual gift of faith, but it was never tested before. And I just had to believe that I was going to be okay. And and I really just handed over. Okay, God, you've got me. We, got, You know I got to do this. I got to put this kid through school, so we got to work it out. Right. And I just let it go. And Ricky, I loved in the bio where, you know, you said you're a survivor, but slash thriver. And I, yeah. I want to tell you that we in the past, you know, I'm on my almost my 10th year here at ACR. We, we had a campaign a few years ago where we talked about thrivers. And tell me a little bit about that saying thriver. And, and you know, why do you say that? I'm going to live my best life every day, whatever it is. I'm going to live every day like it's my last day. And I think that's what we all have to do is like wake up in the morning and say, okay, what, what can I tackle today? What can I do? And take on the world and never be, never be constrained by what you can do. And, you know, having cancer and being told you're going to die makes you fearless. Yeah. You know, I mean, I literally go paddleboarding in the dark in the morning. There's no other boats on the water. I think some of my neighbors are watching me just to take pictures of me in the morning with my dog on my paddleboard, but I really don't care. I have no fear. My only fear, my only fear in my life is my daughters or my kids getting cancer. Right. That's my only fear. And me getting it back, obviously. But but you become fearless because you've conquered something that is really hard. And you just have to take it on and and not let it rain on your parade. What kind of marketing uh, did you used to do and you do now? So I did, you know, my marketing now is advocacy, yeah, but I, yes. you know, I work for some big corporations. I've pretty much worked in every category. I worked for Nabisco. I worked for Coke. My last real big marketing job, I've done marketing for Jack Daniels, for, for insecticides, for every category. Wow. So I really do think like a brand manager, like what's in the mindset of the consumer and what behavior do you want them to change? And how do you give them the right messaging based on insights to get them to change that behavior? And that's what I'm doing right now with advocacy. I'm mm -hmm. just taking those disciplines and applied them to how to help can cancer patients think differently and act differently and how to make people who don't have cancer ha know their risks and act differently because of them. So let's, let's chat a bit about these racial disparities. And can you talk to us a little bit about your work in this area? And I guess uh, I'm so really impressed with you being a co-founder of Touch. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that and let the audience hear about that because it's uh, it's an impressive group. And I know it's you're just kind of getting it going and really make going to make it happen. And uh, just sitting here talking to you for a few minutes, I, I know it's going to be a huge success. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And, you know, you know, I started Touch because of the numbers for black women. And I said, we're not paying enough attention to the science that we need and the drugs aren't working. And I really wanted to focus on black breast cancer. So I started saying those words, black breast cancer. Yes. And I started saying them to pharma at like SABCS conference yes. and saying, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, let's look at that. It's different. We're, we're different. And now we have this growing body of research that's validating that a black breast cancer cell looks different from a white one, that there may be some genes that we're uncovering in West Africa that, that aren't on the genetic panel that we test for in the States, that the genomics could be different. And so so I just started challenging pharma and challenging the system saying, what can you, what, we need to be looking at this differently. And one of my favorite quotes is um, Albert Einstein, a problem cannot be solved within which the framework it was created. 
And I said, you guys, we have to turn this upside down, flip it over because the science isn't working. And so we set out on this mission to advance the science. And that's what we've been doing. And, and, you know, as I, because I am a marketing person, everything I do is insight-based. I talk to patients. I talk to the consumer. I talk to, you know, the parties involved and said, okay, what's in your head now? What do we need to change about it? Whether it's a patient or a doctor or a pharma company or a researcher, like you have to, you know, question the status quo and figure out, you know, basically admit that your baby's ugly. And I do that every day. I did already day twice with two pharma companies <laughs> and say, you know, your baby's ugly, but I'm going to help you because mm-hmm. you're not seeing it the way patients are seeing it. You're not listening to the patient voice. And, and they want to say that they want to say they're listening, but they really just don't know how to do the words. And I think we cracked the nut on that. And so we went on this mission to get more black women into clinical trials. And so we took all the research that we did and put it in a pot, stirred it up, and then cracked it over every word, every language. And we learned that the the breasty voice is yeah. the only voice of trust. We don't trust doctors. We don't trust researchers. We don't trust pharma. But we trust another breasty who's been had what we had. And so I learned that it was really important to explain the science from my voice, from a breasty voice. So we built our platform based on videos. So you could go on this video and find women who look like you, who sound like you, who share experiences with you, and you get it, and you understand the science. And it's simply, it was really fear of the unknown. Is this on the Touch website? On the Touch, yeah. so on yeah. our When We Trial, whenwetrial.org website, yes. which is connected, but whenwetrial.org, but it's it's fear of the unknown. They think you're going to get the sugar pill and die. And and the mistrust is there, but it's more about just not understanding that what standard of care is. What, you know, that that, that Advil you took last week was in a clinical trial, that that you know, medicine you gave your dog was in a clinical trial. When you break it down from the voice of a a breastie, they get it and they want to sign up. And so we launched this campaign a year ago. We did a lot of social media because we knew where to find breasties because I wanted to make sure they had accurate information because our network is so small. And then we did a radio campaign and then we hit the road. And between May and December, we did 25 events across the country that were not health events. We went to hair shows, beauty shows, we went to churches, but not for the health fair. We walked the beach in Martha's Vineyard when all the bougie black people were there in pink bikinis. <laughs> we went to the Essence Fest and walked around New Orleans in pink tutus. And mm-hmm. we did what I call iconic things to be mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And we've now signed up 8,000 black women for clinical trial portals. That's great. That's great. By the way, I think in the uh, in the intro, it talked about your work with Citizen. Um, yes. It, so, you know, I know the founder of Citizen quite, you know, he's from Maryland, uh, yes. Anil Sethi. Um, yes. and, um, and so I, I know Anil, I, I've go way back with him. He's now That's moved awesome. on, but, um, I was really kind of pleased to see that. And so they're they're and that's kind of trying to help with clinical trials as well, right? Well, yeah, what yeah. they're doing is it's the trial matching service. Yes. So basically I have an app on my phone that has my whole medical record. So, you know, when you get ready, when you want to do a trial, you have to like send all the stuff and it's like a, a red tape nightmare for mm-hmm. educated people. And so basically they collect all of your medical records, put them into an app. I can look back and look at my scans from 2011. And so I can just forward that app to a trial doctor and have my, my records, you know, translated very quickly and easily. Also, they match you to trial. So they were starting matching with for triple negative and they expanded to, to metastatic breast cancer, but they find a trial based on your biology, your genomics and your genetics and your body type and your cancer. And it helps with the whole matching process because, you know, going to clinicaltrials.gov is like going to help blindfolded. Yeah, yes. 
Yeah. And so they take the pain away. So they were, they've been a great partner. They now have been bought by Invite. Yes. Um, but Listen, um, but Far- you know, Fareed, Fareed, um, Fareed, C- Fareed. CEO. Yes. One, wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. He's a wonderful guy. He actually texted me the other day. We were having a text. We had a text conversation because I'm in San Francisco. I was going to try to hook up. Well, with you today. tell him uh, Mitch said hi. He'll, he'll, okay. he'll know. Um, he's awesome. Uh, he is awesome. Um, so are you seeing a change? Are you starting to see a change with as far as getting uh, more more black women into, into clinical trials? Well, we, we've signed up 8,000 women into yep. portals. Um, we can't, it's hard to tell what happens because there's so many factors that go into a trial decision, right? Um, once they go into the portal, but, um, it's not enough. I mean, I am seeing a change, but, but I do feel like I've cracked the nut on how to do it. And now we're just trying to figure out how to amplify that message and get anyone, anyone who wants to talk to a black woman about a clinical trial, we can teach you how to do it. And I can convince them in five minutes. And so we're trying to figure out how to get more partners engaged and how to get more people using our tools and using our website and our videos because they're working. So we still have a lot more work to do, but we also need more mandates from the FDA. I mean, now the FDA has this guidance in place that pharma companies have to do it, but it it really starts with the pharma company saying, you know what, we're not doing this right. We need help. And that we need to think about it differently. And that's what we're also starting to do a lot of that work, working with various pharma companies on specific trials to help them recruit black women. Like I'm here in, in California right now working with a pharma company to help them to meet with their PIs of a trial. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're writing um, informed consent documents. We're developing the materials for how to recruit for a trial. And that's all the work I want to do because I think that's where we can make a bigger impact is to work with trials from the very beginning to bring in the patient voice, to use our video tools to really help pharma do a better job recruiting. What else do you, what, what else is touch about? What else do you want to see touch, you know, what kind of um, impact is touch trying to make? I, I know, again, my team has had conversations with you. We, we've been working with triple negative breast cancer and we certainly would like to uh, uh, start working with touch as well. Yeah, we'd love to. And, and, you know, I've kind of been on the back end of that relationship because I'm so yeah. close to Haley. We do so many things together, but yeah, if we could do more work in, in, on TNBC and getting drugs right. I mean, right now we only have two drugs only one for one for early stage, right? And so we need more we need more solutions, more therapies. So that's a huge thing that we're working on. So any kind of trials on from that perspective we can work on. That would be great. Like um, I know that Gilead and Merck have the two drugs and they're now they have trials together with putting the the drugs together. Yes. Take the best that we have and, and put them together in the same lab. How cool is that? So that's very cool. We can encourage more collaboration. That's great. The other initiative that we're working on, and really my daughter Haley started it. Um, um, she was, she was a teacher for eight years and she said, okay, mom, I need help. I'm coming to help you. Okay. And so thank God she's been working with us now for almost a year. And, and so she just launched a campaign called for the love of my girls, spelled G U R L S. The website is loveofmygirls.org. And we're reaching out to young black women, 18 to 35, who do not have a cancer diagnosis to understand their risk. And as we sort of cultivated this concept of black breast cancer, we're now trying to build around black breast health because if cancer is different for black women, so is taking care of yourself different. And it basically has three calls to action. Understand that you are, you have a different kind of opportunity or disease opportunity, right? Your, your, your bodies are different that you need to understand your, her story. Talk to your mom and your grandma on both sides, understand where you came from. And, and these conversations are often very difficult in black families. We just don't talk about health. Mm -hmm. And so, we have a lot of tools to help you talk to your grandma and get her to open up about who died of what. And lastly, then check your breasts. So make checking your breasts 
as part of your self-care regimen. So you're going to get your nails done. You're getting your hair done. You're getting massages. You're hanging out with the girls. So integrate your filling your boobs, checking your boobs into your life as part of your lifestyle. And, and not about cancer, but about, you know, just checking yourself. Like mm-hmm. if you're like you put on, like you're getting right. your nails done, do your, check your breasts. Right. So we, we launched a really cool video. If you go to our website, um, love of my girls, org, you'll see it. And we're doing a lot of events. We do, we're doing roller skating parties across the country with young women. The status quo has not worked. Right. It's not worked. So right. we have to think Gotta differently. Gotta reinvent, have, reinvent, right? Right. Reinvent or restart, like do it differently. And we're trying to yep. get everybody to think that way. And so I spend a lot of time with pharma saying, you know, your baby's ugly, but let's fix it. Let's right. fix that baby. Put a pretty hat on her. So you must be uh, extremely proud of your daughters. Now they both went to Dartmouth to follow in mom's footsteps. Is that is that, yes. that true? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, you know, my, my oldest daughter, Amanda, you know, she worked for Obama from her sophomore year of college Okay. and, and was in the white house, you know, for eight years in the Obama white house and came out and ran super majority. And she actually just got a new job working for GoFundMe. Okay. Um, and, and Haley has been an elementary school teacher and now she's bringing all those great education tools yes. to our advocacy because it's so great how she thinks about it differently because she understands how to educate better than me. So yes. I think between our marketing and our education, we're going to be able to do great things in terms of effectively communicate these concepts to, to black women in a different way. Well, uh, Ricky, um, so thankful to, uh, to get a, a few minutes of your time, especially while you're traveling out in San Francisco and, and as busy as you are. Um, you're a bundle of positive energy and I love it. And, uh, you know, we, the organization, my team, we've loved working with triple negative and certainly love starting to explore ideas and working with touch. And, you know, the ACR is, uh, you know, all about what you're trying to do. And, um, you know, um, but if our listeners want to find out more about your organization, could you please tell them where, where you'd like them to go? And we'll put this up in the notes as well, but just like to hear that from you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for a partnership. And I know what you've done with TNBC Foundation is all great things to advance science. But our website is touchbbca.org, touchbbca.org. Our clinical trial website is whenwetrial.org. And our young women's website is loveofmygirls.org. And they're all connected. If you go to okay. touch, you can kind of find everything. But check out our video gallery on whenwetrial.org. The videos are are really compelling and are making a difference in our community. And we love our work on love of my girls. We're trying to be different and fun and make it not so painful and try to help women understand what they're up against. We will absolutely do that. And what river do you paddle boat on on a daily basis? On the Chesapeake Bay. Oh, you're on the bay. You're on the bay. I live on the bay. I live on a marina off the bay and it's so beautiful. I'm like two marinas from downtown Annapolis. Yes. And anyone can join me. My, I'll give you my email. It's, R-I-C-K-I at touchbbca.org. Email me and come paddleboard with me and come back to come back to Annapolis, Mitch, and we'll uh, go lo- paddleboarding. We, we will do that. I might be falling off the board, but I'll give it a, I'll give it my best shot. That's for <laughs> darn sure. Shot. Well, and there's I'll, no sharks in the day. I'll go walking okay. and running with you as well. So how, how's okay. that? Um, listen, you inspire me and you've inspired me here the last 30 minutes and really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, more importantly, you're making one hell of an impact out there. So uh, you should be really proud. I'm proud and proud to, to have you on this podcast. So have a great trip and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Will you come into the annual meeting yes, in Orlando? Yes, I'll be there. I know. Then you and I will meet yeah. in person and that okay, will be great. very nice. Great. The Sam's invited me. I'll be so happy to see the Sam's together. The so. Sam's and Both you'll get say. to meet Mitch too. All right, great. Ricky, have a great day and uh, we'll talk soon. 
Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Once again, thank you to our listeners, supporters, and donors. Remember, your support drives the progress against cancer. As you heard on this episode, Black women are about 40% more likely to die of overall breast cancer. A big problem is that Black patients made up 12% of new breast cancer cases in 2020, but Black patients only made up 3% of the participants in breast cancer clinical trials that led to the FDA approvals between 2008 and 2018. You can get involved and help spread the word by sharing this episode with a friend, subscribing to our podcast, and heading over to our website, aacr.org, to consider making a donation. Thank you so much for listening to Believe in Progress, the AACR podcast. This podcast is produced by CollegeCast, LLC. Please visit www.collegecastpodcast.com for more information. And remember, cancer research saves lives.